Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dream Bigger Podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host, Sif, and I am so excited that you've tuned in. So today's episode is one that I think there needs to just be more of, and it's all about mental health. I have Annalyn McCord on the show. You may know her from 90210, the remake. I remember in high school, like it was just everywhere and, you know, everyone knew her character's name. And since then she's gone on to do such incredible things, spreading awareness about mental health. And this episode is all about that. So I feel like everyone needs to give it a listen because you just learn so much about her and she's so raw and so real and you know I admire her so much so super excited for today's show before we get into it a couple of things first and foremost I want to read out a review it comes from Calabasas 88 it says love the guests I love that Sif is so warm and welcoming to her guests because it makes for the best synergy with each could not recommend this podcast more I really, really appreciate reviews like this. Honestly, it just helps the show, you know, get seen by Apple Podcasts. It helps me get really, really great guests like Annalyn and helps me provide a lot of value to you guys. So if you don't know, I am currently doing a giveaway for two $500 beauty boxes. It's filled with product. Like I'm talking luxury beauty products, eyeshadow, mascara, skincare products, hair products, like literally A to Z. So all you have to do is leave a review and follow me on Instagram at Sif Hyder if you're not doing so. And just let me know what you love about the show. And I will be picking out a winner in the next couple of weeks. The next thing I want to get into is this week's hot tip. So I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, but I discovered dough, it's spelled D-E-U-X, a few months ago. And it is essentially like raw cookie dough, but it's so clean. Like it doesn't have any refined sugar, no gluten, no dairy. And it is absolutely incredible. You have to try the brownie batter flavor and the snickerdoodle, or sorry, gingerdoodle flavor. Like I 
can't believe that these cookies don't have crap in them. It's just, it's really, really good. I just like take a tablespoon and I have it with a midday coffee. It's my favorite thing ever. So if you haven't yet, go give them a try. With that, let's get into today's show with Anna Lynn. So you have a really interesting and inspiring story. And so I think like what our listeners would and should hear is about your childhood and what was your big dream when you were growing up? Okay, so I, well, there were three actually. The first one was I wanted to be a math tutor. The second, an archaeologist. The third one stuck. I wanted to be an actress. I grew up in rural Georgia in American poverty and the big, massive pipe dream that this little nine-year-old trailer park kid had was just like, no, that's not going to happen. So you need to have a plan B. And I was a very arrogant little nine-year-old, as I like to say. <laughs> was as a you, you knew what you wanted. <laughs> I, I, I thought they were all morons. I was like, you guys are stupid. Just because you didn't have the wherewithal to make your dreams come true doesn't mean that you can rain on my parade. <laughs> um, I'm like, where is that gumption now? I, I, I go to that nine-year-old inside my mind. I'm like, hey, I need some of your confidence. <laughs> like, help. Um, um, but she was, she knew what she wanted. She was very set on it. And she is like, to me, she's my mentor. She's so much older than me. <laughs> we all need a little bit more of that nine-year-old energy, like the, yeah. the drive. And, you know. Well, there's also this beautiful invincibility when you're a kid, right? Where you don't have the life experience to tell you that things can suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I actually, ironically, did have the life experience to tell me that things could suck, but my brain protected me from yeah. my memories. And in that period, I think that there was, there was definitely a duality to my nine-year-old confidence. I think that it was necessity is the mother of invention, right? I think it was born out of necessity. There was this underbelly of a survival instinct to get away, to mm -hmm. leave, to get out of the situation I was in as a child. And new horizons were the answer. And, and I took that into my adulthood, <laughs> running from my problems, very healthy decisions, you know. Um, <laughs> but as a nine-year-old, it, it manifested into something really wonderful, which was mm -hmm. this big dream that everyone told me was not going to happen. And they would say, you need to have a plan B. And my, my go-to response, my mom said, was I would always tell people, my plan B is that plan A is never going to fail. <laughs> I actually love that. I'm like, who is this nine-year-old? I, I need to bottle that. her. <laughs> <laughs> so you were homeschooled and then you left home at 15 as well. And, you know, it's a little bit of an unconventional childhood, I would say. Would you say it's like made you really resilient and like who you are and kind of prepared for all that you took on for, you know, as like for your career alongside like your whole healing journey, which we'll obviously get into as well. Yes, absolutely. And I'll actually, I was stalking you on Instagram earlier. So I'll use your example of your scooter accident, right? everybody could get in that situation where they're the why me, which is what you wrote in mm -hmm. your caption. And I loved what you said because the way I look at my life is, what is this moment about? Where is the gift? I mm -hmm. always look for the gift. Yeah. I always try to find the gift. And there always is one. 
Totally. And there always is a shitty, horrible awfulness if you look for that Mm -hmm. perspective. You know, your perception is everything. A lot of people don't understand how you can look at horrific childhood traumas and the awfulness that goes on in the world and all this in any way, shape, or form and find a gift. And yet I always do. Yeah. And the the truth is, and I remember hearing stories from other people. I've been fighting human trafficking for a decade and a half now. And I remember hearing stories from survivors and just thinking, God, I can't imagine going through that. Mm-hmm. Cut to my memories come back. And I'm like, oh, I kind of went through that myself. What we don't realize is that in the moment, Right. When you when that scooter accident happened and you're in the hospital with TBIs and traumatic brain injuries and all of this, like you're actually in the moment of your life. Yeah. So you're just living. Yeah. Right. You're not dead. So here you are. And and I think there's a there's a tendency to cause ourselves anxiety when we think about something horrible that could happen and this depression that can happen when we look back on our past and how it was so horrible and why, why, why did this happen to me, me, me? And I actually like the why me question, but I come at it from a different angle. What I really love about you and what, you know, your your entire personality and story has really stuck to me because I think you have that attitude where it's like, where is the gift? And like, I think like I resonate so much with it because like I've, you know, I've had like some near death experiences. Like this wasn't the first time, like I had meningitis and that almost killed me. You had meningitis. My best friend had that when she was like three, four years old. Yeah. So this happened to me like in university and it almost killed me. Right. So like you have these incidents and I remember when I was in it, like people around me were like really, really scared. I mean, rightfully so. Right. But I don't remember ever being scared. I don't remember coming well, out of it. they're all scared about their own loss of you. Yeah. Where it's less about you and more about yeah. them losing you, Exactly. Right? But, like, when you come out of these things, I've always been like, okay, but I've learned this from that or, like, that from right. this. You know what I mean? Like, I think it just— And there are people I know who have more of, like, a, a whiny mentality, but yeah. I don't think it really propels you forward if you sit like that, you no, know? No, it 100% does not. So— <laughs> Like, have you always been like this where like you've always been like, okay, no, let let me take the good from this? Or was it something that you have worked on over the years? Oh, I definitely thought it was a cruel, evil world that was out to get me for a while. It's a a dance, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think most things are in our very dualistic natures. You know, um, one day you'll see me, as my little sister likes to say, you're just this like namaste, but you're actually a bitch. (laughs) 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 She's right. She's right on both accounts. I could be over there meditating and I, the divine light in me sees the divine light in you and then Five minutes later, I'm going to be a petty-ass bitch because I'm both. I'm all. I'm neither. I'm I'm always doing that dance. And I think that there's this idea, especially I love, you know, people talk about me writing a book someday. And I always I know how the book ends. I don't know what I'm going to put in the book. And I will write a book at some point. But I know how the book ends. It ends with the word and dot, dot, dot. Because I'm not dead and my life's not over. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Yeah. I've gotten to this point and it's amazing. I could spiral all the way back to the beginning and be completely screwed. And I'll let you know how that goes. One of the things I think for me that has been a profoundly life-altering moment was when I stopped trying to get it right. When I stopped trying to not be why me. Mm. And then it just 
it fell away. When I let myself have a pity party, when I let myself be petty and be a little bitch and do all of these things that are judged to be quote unquote bad, mm-hmm. good girl, bad girl, we, we, we fall into these roles and we stop living. If you're playing a role, I know I'm an actress. When I'm playing a role, I, first of all, I better be getting paid for it. <laughs> so we play these roles in life. No one's paying us. Right? Or, or they're paying us pennies at our job to, to put on a mask. But the idea of living an entire life without ever living at all because we kept trying to play mm-hmm. a role. Somebody's good girl. Somebody's smart girl. The prettiest. The, the most intelligent. The wealthiest. The most successful. Alan Watts says it best. <laughs> He's so great. I, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact quote um, off the top of my head. But he says something to the effect of, life is meant to be lived. Somewhere along the way, people started trying to achieve things <laughs> when you're only just supposed to stay alive. You're, you, that's the achievement. Did it's you true. live and then did you die? That's it. That's yeah. what you're actually supposed to do. Then we're like, oh, my God, get a whiteboard. Let's put goals up there. We have to accomplish things. It's it's that buzzing. It's my, it's my early life story of trying to run away from something that was always going to find me. Mm-hmm. I was running from that invisible lion that eventually, when I was safe enough, was, everything was going to come back. Being an actress, being successful, all the things that were supposed to make me happy and make me okay. You can't did run not from do it. Any yeah of that. Right. I couldn't run forever. It called up to me. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness. I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? So from the outside in, right? Like you, like when you were in 90210 and you had this like really, really successful career and people looked from the outside and were like, oh my gosh, like Annalyn, she's, she's really, really done it all. And, you know, you, you had all the external markers for success, but you were really struggling with mental health issues. Can you explain how you even realized you were dealing with mental health issues? Like, did it just kind of like all hit you at once? Like, what was that journey like for you? Uh, I love this question. Thank you for it. I I think that, well, my mother always used to say it. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? When you're 18 years old and you've been living your life in survival mm-hmm. for pretty much all of 18 years, you don't think it's weird. You don't think it's strange that you have to cut up your arms to feel something. That's not strange to you because that feels right. You're in a body that feels like hell and you do whatever you can to alleviate it. Oh, and you also have to work and you have to smile on a red carpet. Oh, and you have to shake people's hands and you have to do this and you have to get on flights and red eyes and do this and la, 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 la. So if you are a little child, you know, going to school every single day, at no point in that child's life is it like, why am I going to school? Other than like, why do I have to go to school? <laughs> but not, a, not an existential why, right? Mm-hmm. You're not saying like, what is this moment about in my life, in my childhood? Like, I'm here to learn and open my brain to the ability to learn. No, you just go there because your mom takes you and you have to <laughs> and you want to leave as soon as you can. That was me with my mental health issues. I just handled it because I had to. And as soon as it could be over, I'd be stoked about it and I'd get a moment of reprieve. It wasn't until... I began an amber journey that I realized how loud my mind had been. 
And that's the whole little, you know, joke of the ego, right? It's the, the ego doesn't want you to ever see it. It's kind of, it's like for me with the paparazzi and I use this analogy, which sorry guys, you guys are fine. But, um, but I didn't want them to follow me home and they would always find out where I lived and follow me home. And I learned that all they really needed was a photograph. They, mm-hmm. one guy pulled over and he was like, this is, this is who you're putting through college. And he shows me a picture of his little two-year-old daughter. And I was like, oh, okay, get your photos, fine. But I learned that if they just got their photos of me at the height of 90210 and when it was all crazy, they would actually leave. So I started getting out of my car and approaching the paparazzi and they're like, <laughs> you should see their faces. Like they're terrified. They don't know what you're going to do. I'm sure they've had bad experiences before, but I'm like, hi. And they're like, I'm like, roll your window down. And they're like, oh, freaking out. And then they'll like crack the window. I'm like, would you like to have pictures of me? And they're like, yeah. Is this a trick question? Like, oh my you know? God. And then they're like, okay. And they kind of like get out, get the pictures real quick. And I'm like, now I want to see your taillights. Goodbye. Don't follow me home. And I think of that analogy when I think of my ego. For 25 years, this is 25 at my 20, right after my 25th birthday was when my in, inward journey began. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I ever knew I had a mind that talked to me. I was just used to the yelling. It was what I was accustomed to. It was always abusing me. Abuse was something that I was used to in 25 years, and I never questioned it. But at the 25-year mark, something happened, a monumental moment in my life with a partner and different things. And instead of the why me moment, the cruel evil world out to get me, I was like, (laughs) I've been the one who's been with me for the last 25 years, and I keep having the same things happening to me. So there's a common denominator here, and she's me. (laughs) So shit. And when I turned my focus on my ego, on my mind, on the voice inside my head, it was like me getting out of the car and walking up to that paparazzi. It's like my mind started shrinking back. Like, wait, don't look at me. Don't, don't ask, don't do this. And I learned this one question I would ask my mind. I would close my eyes, and I'd say, what is my next thought going to be? And all of a sudden, there was silence just for a second, just a blip. But there's a silent moment where you hijack the brain, you hijack the mind, the ego, when you ask it what it's going to think next, because the whole stitch is that you don't know it's there. And it just keeps this buzzing, anxiety-ridden noise. And the the Toltec teachings um, in, in Mexico, they say, they call it the mitote. It's like this loud, massive market where you hear all the sound, but you don't really make out any words at all. And it's, that's what it felt, felt like to be in my mind. And I did a college tour when I was talking about the sexual assault I experienced when I was nine, uh, 18. And I would ask everybody in the audience, like, raise your hand, if the voice inside your head was a person and you would be friends with it, raise your hand. Nobody ever raised their hands. I was like, come on, guys. Like, nobody wants to be friends with their mind. And I became hell-bent on befriending my mind. I was like, I'm done. Like, if you're going to hang out with me for literally all of my life, because let's face it, you're in my head for all of my life. If I don't have my brain in my mind anymore, I'm dead. So I was like, we're going to have to figure out a relationship here that works for both of us. And right now it's not working. And that became the transition moment for me. I actually love this lesson because, you know, I think that 
our minds can play tricks on us, right? And you almost have to like catch it and be like, but why are you thinking that? And I have learned to name that like really negative part of like my mind because like when it comes, I catch it. So I named her Umbridge yeah. from Harry Umbridge. Potter. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yeah. perfect. Because she's, she's crazy she's and crazy. she all she does is just lie. Yeah. And so like by giving it like a ridiculous name and almost this like personality of like a very comical character who it's like, okay, like yeah. full of shit. Yeah. It's like you just learn to catch your thoughts and you kind of like, you have to foster a positive relationship with like the voice in your head because other, and like you have to be able to catch that false voice that also exists and yes. kind of like make peace with it. You know what I mean? You do. And I think a, a big part of that, and this is what we're not taught at all, a big part of that is actually going back in your mind. And so I, I lead like inner child workshops and stuff because of the work that I've done on myself mm -hmm. and how I've built that relationship with my mind. And now my mind and I are best friends. And when the parts of me that pop up that are questioning or tentative, I'm like, hey, where does that stem from? Let's go. Let's go all the way back to 1993. Who said that to you the first time? Mm -hmm. I go to the origin point now. Yeah. I'm not even trying to deal with whatever silly little thing my umbrage is telling me right now. It's today. the root cause. I go to the root of the issue. Exactly. And, and I go back and I'm so kind mm -hmm. to that little girl that really didn't experience a lot of kindness when mm -hmm. she was little. And we don't, we don't teach people that. We're like, you know, get up. Let's go. Like, buckle up your bootstraps. Like, what? I'll sleep and I'm dead. Why? the hell <laughs> you're gonna sleep what you you think toughing out sleep is somehow it makes you cool no it My, really does not it does not at all it makes you delirious and do psychotic things it's insane I don't recommend it at all the other thing I talk about too is my my high tolerance for pain I was mm -hmm. like I wore it like a badge of honor like what why did I think these things were cool it is not cool to be unkind to your body the body is baby this is how I treat it now. So the mind is adult. I can say, okay, with the thoughts, lady, calm down. But baby, when the physiological experience gets interrupted in daily life and homeostasis has been lost, mm -hmm. mama stops everything. I'm like, yeah, everybody get out, out. My baby's not feeling good. <laughs> Y'all get the hell away from me. And I go into the body and I'm like, what's going on? This feels yucky. Yeah, the heart rate is going crazy. That's not fun. It will calm down, but it's yucky right now. Mm -hmm. Because from zero to seven years old, we were in theta brainwave state, delta to theta, right? And those are the lowest level brainwave states. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like being either in deep sleep from zero to two or from two to seven. It's like being in hypnosis or meditation, mm -hmm. a very deep suggestible state where we are consuming information into our subconscious from everywhere around us. And in that period of the human life, we take in all of these nasty little voices that then begin to materialize later when we build our analytical mind mm -hmm. around puberty, around age 12, 13, and on, we start to build out beta. So in that middle area between the two is alpha, and that's a creative stage, and you'll see kids be super, you know, they're coloring or dancing or singing, or they're very creative in that period in the alpha brainwave. But what I started to realize was, the, my body experienced so much life, mm -hmm. right? It took in so much yeah. 
for that period of time. Seven years is a long time, a long time to consume information that isn't necessarily healthy, that's toxic poisoning sometimes. So, so when those things arise, when the body leaves homeostasis, when I feel dysregulation in my nervous system, that means something is popping up. I want to know what happened to little me. I don't need to know the logistics of it anymore. I used to do way too much sleuthing around and I'm like, okay, we're good. Okay. I just need to know where did this originate? Was it, was it a long time ago? Let's do some extra soothing or was it just, you know, it's been a long day. I haven't gotten rest. So I'm really cautious with, with anything with the body. Like I'm just like, no, if my body doesn't feel good, we're not handling this shit. So then once you go back and say like, whatever it is, like you have a negative thought that pops up and you go back to that root cause, you're trying to find it. What do you do with it? Like once you do kind of like put a finger on it. Well, so I actually, and again, amazing questions. Thank you. One of the things that I do is I drop in, I'll do, you know, now I I can drop into a meditative state very quickly because I've been doing it for a long time. My body just knows what I'm doing. Like, oh, she's going in. Here we go. But if it takes you a little bit to calm your nervous system and get into the stillness, I recommend something that Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches. I don't know. Obsessed with him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh my God. In the blackness. So I learned from him that if you close your eyelids and instead of thinking that your eyelids are right there next to your eyes, because it's all black, right? Your eyelids could be a million miles away from you. How far could your eyelids be? Like start start putting yourself in this space where you expand the space. Now you're not closed in behind these eyelids right here, really close to you. Now you're, it could be anywhere. You could be in time and space, space and time. You could be anywhere and anything and anyone. And when I do that, I get into that space, I drop my heart rate down, I'm breathing, I'm doing long exhalations. Long exhalations always tell the body that we're safe because when you're being chased by a tiger, you don't do 12 second exhales. You, <laughs> you definitely like, do not. <laughs> there's yep. a lot of inhaling, not a lot of exhaling. Exhale, exhalation is the key in. So I do deep exhalation. I drop in, I close my eyes and I go back in my mind and I just let my mind guide me I, mm-hmm. at this point. Like I, I really don't try to control too much because it will take over and do its own mm-hmm. thing. But I go back in and I'll like, hey, you know, can you take me? to a moment in my life when this was happening. And I'll start, I'm very visual, so I'll see memories. Mm -hmm. And I'll see a moment where I was in a situation as a kid and someone was being mean to me or bullying me or this or that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, army of Annalyns. I'm like, I imagine that 32 Annalyns pop out of nowhere and we're all like the hill, you know. I'm like, we're taking the baby. Get away from her, everybody. (laughs) And I actually, I've done this with all of my, especially my trauma memories. I have taken the baby. I've gotten her out. I've told her we're going to an amazing planet called Utopia where there's unicorns and butterflies and rainbows and dolphins. Um, I've told my eight and nine-year-old self in those moments, like, hey, did you know that you actually become an actress? You were right. They were all morons. You want to go see how you do it? Let's go to the, I'll take you to a red carpet that we did together. Like, it doesn't matter. It's your mind. You can do whatever you want. The healing that takes place is as if you got into a time machine, went back to the origin point, and actually 
like a like a TV show about about time travel. You actually changed the past, and now you've changed twenty twenty one. And the way the, what I mean by that is that if you heal that cycle from nineteen ninety three, it no longer allows your behavior in twenty twenty one to do that rep- repetitive thing that it that it was causing, whatever it is. That's the most powerful tool I've ever used. Is go in to whatever time period, get in your time travel machine, go back to that point and get baby out and take baby wherever you want to take baby in the universe. Your mind is incredibly powerful if you use it like a tool like that. And it's it's been my, I mean, my doctor, when I was doing EMDR treatment, so I was doing PTSD, like post-traumatic stress disorder treatment, and I was using eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, which is very powerful healing modality for people with trauma trapped in their body. And my doctor was like, gosh, I wish my other patients were like you. Like you, you don't question it. You you just want your healing. You will let your mind do whatever it needs to do. And I, I really would. I'm like, if the little me, like you'll, you'll notice if you do this practice with your inner child, there'll be moments where your inner child doesn't want anything to do with you. Or, or she'll be like, ew, you're weird. Or like 13 year old self. Woo. She oh, was, yeah. she's a she gave me a run for my money. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to make her like me. And my doctor was like, well, a lot of parents feel your pain. <laughs> it's it's not exactly the easiest age, okay? You got to get clever. And I would get clever with my with my older memories when I was 6, 7, 8 years old. I would I would be like, "Look, I can do magic tricks." This is all happening inside my own mind. But what I'm doing, and my doctor said this, I was building scaffolding. I didn't have scaffolding. I didn't have the the poles and the pipes and the the the, the structure to hold up what was put on top of this very early life formation of the inside of me. And my house was always going to collapse. So I had to go in and put scaffolding in. And this is the way you do it. That's really, really beautiful. So I was doing my research prior to this interview. And um, obviously, like I know that you had, you got a DID diagnosis. So first and foremost, what what is DID for people that do not know? So DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, was formerly known as multiple personality disorder. It was formerly known that because that was a very stupid thing to call it. Yep. <laughs> and the doctors don't like admitting that they were stupid, but they did realize that they had to change the name mm-hmm. because it was so misleading and just absolutely inaccurate as to what the actual experience is for a sufferer. In no way, shape, or form, do you suddenly become British and need high tea at noon? Like, what? Like, no, I can do that because I'm an actress, but (laughs) that's not what was happening. I wasn't popping into new personalities. Yeah. Every single person on this planet will experience a form of disassociation. It's a vast spectrum. Mm Mm-hmm. Who you are at the dive bar on Friday is not who you are at synagogue on Sabbath day. It's not who you are, you know, Monday morning in the office. There's a way that we dance with who we're supposed to be, those roles we play, like we were talking about at the beginning of this interview. That's what DID is on steroids, <laughs> meaning that a neurotypical brain can dance between those roles. Yeah. And move in and out of them with fluidity. Mm -hmm. Someone who's suffering DID is trapped in compartmentalized portions of themselves. So those roles will arise out of a need for protection. So there's some kind of anxiety, some kind of threat that's happening. 
And then it's like, I can't be this way. I have to be this way. Mm -hmm. This is all done under the layers of the subconscious mind. This is all done autonomically. So the mind, I'm never consciously being like, oh, I need to be a different person right now. I easily slip into it, can't so easily get out of it. And there's the difference. So I describe it in a lot of my interviews as being a mirror. When you look in a mirror, you see your whole self, right? Mm -hmm. If someone takes a hammer to that mirror, it's still one thing. It's just one mirror with you looking back, but now you see a hundred faces and that's what it's like. So so that in a very simple, simple way sums up kind of a, an overall of what it's like to suffer DID. Was it something that you kind of dealt with your whole life um, and like it was your it was your version of normal like and I guess like when did you realize that like okay no this this is a problem and I need to kind of get help for it yeah I I didn't know that I had it actually until I was already getting help and that's the other hallmark of this disorder is nobody knows they have it everyone thinks this is their normal it's people outside who are looking in like this is a little strange like you know, I don't know what's happening. Like she was like this yesterday and mm -hmm. she's something entirely different today. And even my clothes would match the way I was feeling. And I hated that question on the red carpet. I always talk about this. People would ask me, what's your style? Mm -hmm. And I would hate that question because I didn't know. Because on a Tuesday, I was wearing leather and spikes. And on a Thursday, I was wearing tulle, <laughs> you know, like ballet slippers. And, you know, I, I did feel the need to fully embody the mask and the role mm -hmm. because I was in such need of protection. And it's always, as I said, born out of protection. So what was your road to this diagnosis? And I ask this because I know that, you know, mental health is so tricky and so many people and people close to me, by the way, have gone through like misdiagnoses, if that makes sense. And like the path to landing on like actually what you're dealing with is sometimes a complicated one. Was that your experience or like, was it like a, nope, this is what you have. Like, let's, let's, let's kind of heal you from this. Well, yeah, I was diagnosed with bipolar at first and I have, I have the family history to back that up. Mm -hmm. I actually responded to a mood stabilizer. So that ticks all the boxes of, of, you know, symptoms, family history, response to medication. Those are the three boxes to say that you have this disorder. Unfortunately, not unlike the misnomer that was calling DID multiple personality disorder, we also have an issue in our American Psychiatric Association and the Psychiatric Association overseeing the DSM they won't take trauma into account. It's absolutely asinine and, and it it's doesn't bizarre. make any sense. Right. It, it, they've got a book full of all of these disorders, many of which symptoms will symptoms that line up with borderline and bipolar and different personality disorders, chemical imbalances everywhere on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. They also might look exactly like a trauma, uh, like the response to trauma, symptomatic response to trauma. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this this diagnosis of bipolar and then finding out once I went through trauma treatment that I didn't actually have it, having my brain scanned by a doctor who scanned 50,000 brains who says, you don't have a bipolar brain. I know all about misdiagnoses. This this has been my experience. So when I when I got to the DID, dissociative identity disorder diagnosis, that was the first time that I felt seen. 
Because you finally knew. Because that was really what I was struggling with. Yeah. I did have the symptoms of bipolar. My psychiatrist, based on the information he was provided, wasn't wrong to diagnose me with that. The system is wrong. Mm -hmm. And and there have been doctors like Bessel van der Kolk, Peter Levine, Stephen Porges, all of these somatic-based, body-based doctors who have fought with the, the association to get trauma in the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, and they refuse to do it. And it's like, this has been a 30-year-long fight. It's crazy. That's actually the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And you think about how horrific in this stigmatizing world, and even as as much as we've moved away from it, we're still horribly stigmatizing with mental health issues. You're going to put only in a book that tells everyone what they have and what they are, essentially, that their trauma doesn't count? And that, no, 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 you can't heal from this. This is this is not curable. Bipolar is not a curable disorder, mm-hmm. right? I was, I was given a life sentence when I was told I had bipolar. Yeah. I then go through EMDR treatment. I clear my trauma. My symptoms go away. The only symptom I have left that is in the bipolar category is insomnia. And that's also a symptom of trauma kids. Trauma kids notoriously have issues with sleep mm-hmm. because bad things happened at night. So there's something massive that needs to change with all of that. Getting to the place where I needed help, I was having these blackout panic attacks. They started to get worse and worse. I read a friend's book, the author of The Invisible Lion, which is um, an incredible book. Anyone who even thinks that you might have any kind of trauma, and I don't just mean abuses and things like that. I mean, mom and dad chucked money at you instead of giving you that validation of looking you in the eye and and being there present with you. And they thought they were doing well by you, especially kids who grow up to be the adults that are like, my parents meant really well. Mm -hmm. They're the most traumatized because they don't have anyone backing them up and saying, yeah, this is trauma. Mm -hmm. They they have everyone saying, yeah, you know, it sounds like your parents were, you know, they did their best. That's you. Trust me, those kids have it worse than I did at times because they're never validated. And that's all a child needs that's all human needs is to be validated to to slap a disorder on them because the diagnostic statistics manual doesn't categorize trauma within it that's the most devalidating thing ever yeah it takes away what you went through and it tells you you have something that now you have to live with maybe for the rest of your life and people are going to put a stamp on you as crazy so for me to be able to get past these blackout panic attacks read my friend benjamin fry's book he had gone through a similar trauma to me. My body started activating mm-hmm. in the lower groin area. I was like, calm down, body. You're fine. Never put two and two together that that's weird. <laughs> Why is my body burning down there? That's wild. I literally finish his book. I take a shower. I'm in the shower. All of a sudden, like the body is, you know, in the shower, we were experiencing like soothing. Mm-hmm. So my body's feeling safe. And then I just went into a full-blown panic attack, collapse in the shower, literally crawled out, Googled the closest EMDR facility. And and within three weeks, I had done two intake sessions and my memories had returned on the third week. And in that process, my doctor said, Annalyn, I've treated women and girls with domestic abuse and sexual abuse issues for years and years and years. Almost all of them have what you have. <laughs> Almost all of them. I was like, I don't know how to call myself. I don't know how to say I about my six-year-old self in my mind. I have to say she. She. It doesn't wow. feel like me. She said, I can't tell you how many because it's almost all of them. This spectrum is very vast, mm-hmm. but almost 
all of them have a form of DID, ha- have a form of, of disassociative issues on the spectrum of yeah. disassociation. That's why I don't like the one to two percent of the population have DID because that is so... It's so, just like misdiagnosed basically yes. and there's like a lot of people who are like hidden ones, yes. you know? And the, and the tools to get you out of this to integrate is they're actually, they're, they're not, they take time and effort and, and heart. It takes a lot of heart to do this work, I'll say. You got to get out of your mind and into your body, into your heart. But it's actually really simple. It's as simple as going back in time in that time machine and getting baby out. And that is what can integrate you. And it's like, the fact that we don't talk about this, we don't provide the information in the manuals, and we're withholding the information that are the tools that can get people out of this. And so many people are, I would say, vastly underdiagnosed with this disorder. That's why I'm doing all this. That's why I'm grateful to be on your your you know show and everything, because the more people who hear this, the more people have a chance to actually yeah. ask the right questions of like, wow, do I have that? Do I have something mm-hmm. like that? How can I dig in? And also, it, I think it destigmatizes it, you know, Annalyn? Like if it's like someone who people look up to who deals with this, it's like humanizing. And at the same time, like you're like, oh, wait, like if if she had it, if she was able to like get here then I can too, right? Because I think that unfortunately when you're in the thick of like mental health issues and maybe you don't know what's going on with you or you've not really received the validation that you're talking about that like, you know, that this is what's going on, you you feel like you don't know what the other side even looks like, you know? And I can't even imagine the frustration or the pain that like of that feeling, you know? Yeah. Well, exactly. And I think a big part of it is we don't teach children how to think. We teach them what Mm -hmm, to think. mm -hmm. When you are taught how to think, you're taught how to ask questions, what the types of questions are that will open something up. And if you're talking about a relationship, if I'm sitting here across the table from you, we just met, right? You're asking me questions. I'm on your podcast. But I was curious about Ray and, you know, how you came to to be the founder of this company and, and all this things because I want to get to know you. Yeah. At what point does anyone teach us to get to know ourselves? So true. Our minds. We spend more time with ourselves than we will with anybody else on the planet. And we don't build a relationship with ourselves. Every morning I'm like, hey, how how'd you sleep? Are you okay in there? How's it going? There's a thing inside me. It's like I'm the thing that's watching and then there's me. And I'm like, which one am I? I I obviously there's more to me than just a brain. I'm not my liver. I'm not my spleen. I'm also not my brain or my thinking mind. I'm the essence behind all that. I'm the consciousness. I'm what's watching all the one who sees, the one who observes. So it behooves me and my experience on earth as a human being to ask myself how I slept last night. <laughs> it's true. Like I think that nurturing that relationship with yourself is just not something we're taught. And I remember for me, it was like, it started with something as simple as like, because I had really bad anxiety and like I would just, you know, get up out my bed and out the door for like work or whatever obligations I had. And then I started to learn how to journal. Mm -hmm. And that was like my gateway to like really understanding who I was and nurturing that relationship with myself and like, you know, putting pen to paper, like asking myself questions, like really like when I was in a bad place or like upset about something, like dissecting that and being like, why are you thinking this? Like what makes you feel this way? And I think that that like nurturing that relationship is like 
101 for everyone. And it's unfortunate that no one talks about it and that we're not taught this when we're younger. We're not. We're actually we're actually shut down a lot when we ask questions as a child and mm-hmm. we learn to we learn to just stand in line and and you know, don't don't cause an issue. And I think that if we asked more of our children, I was the but why kid. I would always get in trouble for asking why. Why would you ever want a child to stop asking why? So true. It's your inability to deal with your nervous system and all that. And I get that logically with my adult brain. But to a child mm-hmm. who is brand new on this planet, the most beautiful thing they can ever you can ever hope for them to want to do is ask why. Why am I here? How does this work? Why is this like this? Why is it the sky blue? What a wonderful thing that they are curious. Yeah. We lose our curiosity because we're shut down. And one of you know the thing that I always say there's there's two things in the world. One is real, one is an illusion. Love is real, fear is an illusion, right? Love is everything that opens. Dr. Dan Siegel is a doctor I love. He he has the acronym COLE. Curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. That that will open and expand a relationship, whether it's between you and me across the table here today, you with yourself in the morning. How are you? Good morning. How's my gut feel? Do I need a supplement? You know, like whatever, meeting that partner that's your dream person, like curiosity about them, mm-hmm. openness to hear what they have to say, acceptance that they're not like you necessarily, and that's okay, that's mm-hmm. beautiful, allows love to then be the ultimate vehicle that you drive through life in. Fear is the opposite. Whenever you feel closure, things closing down, shutting off, isolation, that to me is when we've stepped into the illusory world of something that is so antithetical to what human experience is supposed to be. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, Like I could talk to you for days, (laughs) but I do want to ask you about love storm because since we're talking about love, I think that it's really fitting that we bring that up and also your work around human trafficking. Like, do you feel like it was all of this that got you really passionate about human trafficking? Yes, I I definitely... Everything kind of is in relation to us, right? It's how do I relate to this? How does someone, you know, as an actress, it's like, how do I create a character, even though she's a villain most of the time, my characters? How do I make her relatable? Things that we get involved in tend to be things that are relative or relevant in Mm -hmm. our lives. I didn't know how relevant fighting human trafficking was until my memories came back. I was already working fighting human trafficking for 10 years at that point. So the journey of that decade prior to to getting to that point where my, my, my memories return was actually, for me, the journey getting there was already healing me from a trauma I had yet to remember. Mm-hmm. When my memories came back three years ago, I got on a one-way flight to Cambodia. I went to the center where our human trafficking survivors are. And I was like, I told the founder, I'm coming not as the president or ambassador. I'm coming because I'm a girl that you need to save. I'm a mess right now. And I got to be in this community with other survivors. I got to be hugged by 11 girls who had my exact same story. And I was just one of the girls. I was just one of the kids. This for me is what was the beginning the of the amalgamation of my work and then what is now the campaign of the love storm. Yeah. I had a storm brewing inside me. Right? I ran to the place that I knew where love was. I mm-hmm. ran to Cambodia, the 
the place of love for me is Cambodia. I ran with that big storm inside me to, to Cambodia, to my place of love, and I began an alchemical process of turning that storm into love. And now the love storm, we're storming the planet with love, but the idea is making this relevant to every single person on the planet. How does slavery affect each human being? Modern-day slavery... We have 48 million slaves in the world, right? That's what the, the labor organizations, international labor organization says. I think we have 7.8 billion people who are affected by slavery personally, and that's slavery of the mind. We, at some point in our lives, we will be just like what we were talking about earlier, that will be told in our minds or by other people, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not this enough, that enough, whatever it is. Those are invisible chains on your brain that hold you back from being who you truly are, hold you back from just living. You're that need to strive, that need to achieve. It's beautiful when it's coming from an organic place, not from a place of insecurity because someone put you down and now you do that to yourself. Now your mind does that to you. Those, those chains, I want to break all the chains in the world, not just the ones for 48 million individuals who are human trafficked every or human trafficked in totality. I want 7.8 billion people to see that this can matter to all of us. Yeah. If we start start cleaning up the inside, we can clean up the outside. Human trafficking, modern day slavery has been in our world for thousands of years. Yep. No one has stopped it yet. We've been doing it the wrong way. We've been trying to clean up the outside while we keep on in our own chains walking through life. I was enslaved in my mind trying to save <laughs> slavery victims, children who have been enslaved. They were free. They were like, sister, we found love. I'm like, no, you don't love the, we, we love the pimp. We forgive them. I'm like, no, we don't love, forgive. We, we get big guns and blow them up. I'm from America. That's what we do. And they're like, no, sister, we forgive. We love. They were free. I was enslaved. And this idea of the love storm is a campaign where there's there's a couple aspects to it. So one is that there are so many amazing organizations around the world doing this incredible work and they should be highlighted and we need a network of them. So we're building that out. But the way I see them is like little waves on the ocean mm -hmm. and I want a tsunami. So, <laughs> uh, so the Love Stern campaign is about creating a network and bringing those who are doing this incredible work together where we can share resources or connect. Mm -hmm. Or if someone doesn't necessarily feel their heart is for international human trafficking, they want to fight human trafficking in their backyard domestically or whatever, I want to give those resources to individuals who want to get involved in that fight. But at the event itself, we invite you to step into a moment where you allow yourself to be free. Even if it's just for two hours at our event. We want you to break a chain with us when you come to the Love Storm campaign events. And they got shut down because of COVID. Obviously, we're starting back in 2022, which I'm really excited about. But we want you to see that it's personal. Because when it's personal and when it matters to you in your daily life, it might just be something that becomes a cause that's dear to your heart as well. If not, if all you ever do is go home and break an invisible chain in your mind, I'm happy with that. I'm grateful. We've done something to fight the energy of slavery in the world. But if you get educated at our event and you feel something powerful and a personal connection comes over you and you can involve, there's another person fighting human trafficking. There, this expansiveness, this vastness, the opposite of closing and isolating and being a small little thing is love open, accepting, curious, love. That's what the love storm is about. I 
love that. <laughs> I really do. I have like goosebumps. Oh, yay. Um, and I, I encourage everyone to go check it out because I think like what you're doing is incredible. Um, Annalyn, where can everyone find you? Okay. So if anyone wants to check out thelovestorm.com, they can learn more about the movement and get involved. You can find at the love storm on social for me at the Annalyn McCord on social. And I also have an a podcast Wednesdays on Dear Media unzipped with my co-host Shanae Grimes Beach. We do just that. We get in and we unzip about all of these topics. So thank you for letting me share this with you today. And maybe we'll have you on the podcast. Yeah. Also, I have to say your podcast is great. It's really entertaining. And I love that you guys are like no filter, just kind of like going there. There's literally no filter. It is unzipped. (laughs) Don't listen to it with your children in the car. I love it. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.